in America, there's a real good chance that when you got up this morning, you had plenty to eat. Probably the house was at the temperature that you like it. Probably you went through a closet and selected from a lot of different clothes to decide which, which ones you wanted to wear today. We're just, we are blessed in America, aren't we? We are blessed. We truly are. It's also a dangerous place to live. Affluence has a lot of pitfalls in our life. In the time of Amos, the northern kingdom of Israel was at its height in terms of wealth and privilege. And people were very, very affluent. And here's one of the dangers about affluence. Affluence can enable you to keep up the appearance of faith while living the lie of materialism and self-indulgence. And that's exactly what Amos was preaching against in his book as he addressed the northern kingdom for people who were religious. The problem in ancient Israel was not that they were not religious. In America today, we're more secular than we've ever been. In other places around the world, like Asia, although they're not Christian and post-modernity is affecting them in a very different way, they're, they're still spiritual and religious. In the northern kingdom of Israel, they were, they were religious. They went to the temple and they went through the motions. But their actions revealed that they'd never truly been changed by their faith, but instead they were living like everyone else. See, that's the thing about real faith. Real faith changes you. Real faith changes who you are as a person. And when who you are as a person changes, then everything that you do changes as a result of that. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. It's the difference between an empty, false religion that many people live and real faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that will radically change you and make you into a different person. For some of us here today, I, I hope that it, it might be a time of soul searching. When we ask ourselves, are there things in our life that we need to change? Maybe we need, some of us need to ask ourselves, do we need to embrace the faith truly for the first time? Because real faith completely changes who we are. Well, Amos opens in chapter 1, and he's, he's talking to the northern kingdom of Israel, and he begins by preaching judgment on all the nations surrounding Israel. Now, if you know anything about ancient Israel's history, they had had all kinds of conflict with all the nations around them. And so they had, they had uh, experienced battles and fought for their land and conquered the, the promised land that God had given them. And so they had a, they had a lot of enemies. And they had a lot of people that they had history with and, and, and baggage with. And when they heard the names of those surrounding countries around them, it, it had the same impact on them as if you and I were here today and we were to hear a prophet of God speak for the Lord and talk about judgment against Al-Qaeda and North Korea and all of our enemies. As Amos begins to name all these countries and talk about how the Lord is going to deal with them, that's exactly what they heard. They heard that these nations that they had battled with and had conflict with, they heard that the Lord was going to set them straight. And so Amos chapter 1 beginning in verse 3, here's what he says. He talks about Syria. He says, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus, that's the capital of Syria, 
He says, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. And then down in verse 6, he moves on. And, and I'm, I'm skipping some of the specific judgments because we want to just highlight these different countries. But he says in verse 6, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they carried into exile a whole people and delivered them up to Edom. And then he begins to talk more about Gaza. And then in verse 9, he says, Thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Tyre. And then in chapter 2, verse 4, he talks about Judah, which was Israel's brother there in the south, the southern part of the kingdom. And he's named all of these people that are surrounding Israel. And if you can imagine what it was like that day to have listened to the message of Amos, I'm telling you, he had their attention. As the crowd was listening to judgment preached on all those around them, I suspect by the time he got to Judah, it was a raucous crowd. And they were excited to hear that God was going to deal with all of their enemies. But Amos understood that the best sermon is the one that you never see coming. And so in verse 6 he says, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel, Remember, he is preaching to Israel. He says, for three transgressions of Israel, or for four, I will not revoke the punishment. You see, religion will cause you to judge others, but real faith will cause you to examine yourself. And Israel, as they looked at the surrounding nations and they heard Amos' proclamation against them, they reveled in the idea that the people around them would experience the judgment and the wrath of God. But what they needed to do is they needed to look inside and see their own sin. Matthew chapter 7 verse 5, this is how Jesus described the situation. He said, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus taught us that before we can help others, we must help our Sales. I was watching a street preacher one time and he was preaching. And uh, lost people, they know certain verses. Do you know that lost people know Bible verses? They have two favorite judge verses. One of them is, Judge not lest you be judged. It seems like every lost person knows that verse and can quote it. And then this is one of their second favorite verses. And so this preacher was preaching, and this lady, she's walking by, she points her finger at him and she says, she says, the Bible says to cast a log out of your own eye before you take a speck out of your brother's. And, and he says, ma'am, I have cast it out of my eye. That's why I'm here preaching to you today. You see, the Bible doesn't say to never point out sin. It says to first deal with your own sin and confess it. And so Israel that day, they were excited to hear about the sin of all those around them. They're excited to hear about the judgment of God against all those around them. But Amos came not with a message of judgment for the nations. Amos came with a message of repentance that was needed in Israel. So Amos chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, where we're going to be at today, is the passage as Amos speaks to the nation of Israel. And I want to ask you, would you join me in standing just out of honor and reverence for God's word? Amos chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, this is what it says. Thus says the Lord... For three transgressions of Israel, or for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. 
those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to understand uh, this ancient culture. And I pray that as we grasp what was really being said and done, I pray that it would come alive to us today. And I pray, Lord, that we would hear the message of Amos and that we would live a real faith. Father, convict us of everything within us that is phony and falsely motivated. And Lord, may we be, be sincere people who serve you with all of our heart. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Amos is pointing out three very specific areas in which the nation of Israel is in deep need of repentance. Because you see, they have a religion, but they do not have a real faith in God. They don't have a trust in God. It's not that they don't believe that God exists. They have not surrendered their life to follow him and to obey him. And that's the thing about religion. You see, religion has no regard for people. This is the first thing that Amos attacks them about. Notice what he says in verse 6 that we just read. He says, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth. Well, what he's talking about here is he's talking about people being sold to pay for their debt. And so there's two groups of people here. First of all, he says, they sell the righteous for silver. These are people who are righteous people who are capable of paying their debt. And apparently are. Because Amos says they are righteous people. But yet instead of allowing them to pay and fulfill whatever agreement they had made, they sell them for the silver that's owed to them. And then there's a second group of people here, the needy the needy for a pair of sandals. And I don't know if this was literal or if Amos was exaggerating the situation, but what Amos is talking about is that a person that, that simply owes for a pair of sandals and a wealthy person, instead of forgiving the debt or giving them time to pay, sells them into slavery in order to pay for just, just a pair of, of sandals. In verse 7, he describes the situation of injustice. as He says, they trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth. You see, Israel had religion, but they didn't have a relationship with God. They didn't have real faith that would cause them to love people. And you'll find that religion, religion has, has no regard for people. You see, religion has room for gossip, and religion has room for racism, and religion has room for neglect. But the Lord Jesus Christ has room for none of these things in our life. When we begin to understand what he's calling us to do, we begin to understand that he's calling us to love people. The Bible says in John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said this. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. He said, not, not that you say nice things to one another, not that you like one another. He said that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And then notice what he says about what is to be the identifying mark for the New Testament believer? He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus 
called us to love. In the Old Testament, God taught the people to love. And yet the nation of Israel, they had no love for people. They had no regard for people. And you may be thinking, well, you know, Pastor, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who are not Christians who are very nice, good people. When we were in Thailand, uh, it's a Buddhist culture. People there are very nice, very nice, very helpful. At no time do we ever feel any threat whatsoever. I, I experienced that uh, nine out of ten random strangers on the street, if you stopped and tried to talk to them, they would try their best to figure out what you're saying and help you with what you need. I, I went into the 7-Eleven to order coffee. You'd think that would be a small task, but when you don't speak Thai, it's not a small task. But by the end of the week, they understood me and I understood them. I got a couple things that weren't exactly like I wanted at first, but it's okay. They, they bent over, I mean, they had a, when I came in, they had a huddle to try to figure out what I was saying. And it doesn't help, by the way, to ask the missionary the Thai words, because when I say the Thai words, they just don't come across in East Tennessee the same way they do in, in Thailand. And so I had the words and I still couldn't communicate to get my coffee. But anyway, by the end of the week, they, they figured it out. And, and they were so nice and they tried so hard to help me. And I experienced that all over. And I witnessed to this lady that was there in Thailand. And she was talking about that she had encountered, uh, she had been in Texas and she'd went to a church and now she was there and she was involved in Buddhism. And she said the Buddhists that she had met were so much nicer than the Christians that she had met in Texas. And it's true that there are many people who are religious, who are nice to people. But I want to let you know on a secret. Do you know why they're so nice? Because they believe in karma. In fact, they believe that if you even say so much as an unkind word to someone, that it's bad karma. I was talking to a Buddhist monk, and he said, if you just get angry and just say a word in anger, it's bad karma. And they believe that that karma is very difficult to get rid of. You have to do an awful lot of good to overcome that one bad thing that you did. And so when you begin to understand what they think and what they believe in their religion, you realize that them being nice to you has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with love. It has everything to do with them selves and that's the way the religion is religious gratifies the selfish sinful nature but god is calling us to lay aside ourselves and to love other people that's what real faith does for us real faith takes selfish self-centered people and turns them into people who love others james talks about the reality of our faith when it expresses itself in our relationship to other people and james 2 14 through 17 he says what good is it my brothers if someone says he has faith but does not have works can that faith save him uh, uh, we're going to read some more but a lot of people misunderstood this passage and they think that james is saying that you have to work in order to be saved but James does not say that we cannot be saved through faith. He says, does that kind of faith, the faith that doesn't change your life, the faith that is an empty religion, can that faith save somebody? Well, no, it can't. That's not the faith that God is calling us to. God is calling us to believe and to trust in him. And so he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled. 
without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is, is dead. Religion has no regard for people, but yet God loves people, and he calls us to love people as well. There's a second thing that we see in the nation of Israel, and not only does religion have no regard for people, but religion has no boundaries on sexual immorality. In this second part of verse 7, listen to what he says. A man and a father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. Amos is most likely referencing prostitution or a slave concubine, which is really kind of the same thing in a sense. And he says that they're in a state of rampant sexual immorality in the nation of Israel. It's where we are today. And we live in a culture where it's, it's not only acceptable, but it's, it's celebrated. People are proud of their sexual immorality. A few years ago, Tim Tebow was being interviewed and one of the newscasters, in an effort to embarrass him, asked him the question. He said, said, are you really a virgin? And Tim Tebow said, yes, I am. And went right on. This is our culture. See, we are, we are proud today of sexual immorality. People brag about it. We have, we have parades and events like the one that we just had here in town where people celebrate sexual immorality. It's valued in our culture just like it was in ancient Israel. But the problem with following Christ is that he speaks into every area of our lives, including our sex life. And he gives us direction about how he wants us to live. And so the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 19, as Jesus was approached by some Pharisees, it says, now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Have you not read? Which we would all do well to really reflect on that for a moment. That when Jesus was asked a theological question, his immediate response was to turn people to Scripture. He said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. By the way, in, uh, in Thailand, it's just it's fascinating to learn, they believe there are three genders. They believe there's male, female, and second female. And second female is a man who lives as a woman. And they also believe that in order to get to heaven, you have to live through all three genders in your cycles. So at some point in being reincarnated, you're going to live through female, male, and second female. Kind of may sound crazy to you, but not really too far or any crazier than what people in America believe today. Jesus said that we were created male and female. And so they said to him, or excuse me, let me back up. In verse 4, he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. And they said to him, then, then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, 
Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, and listen to what Jesus says, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. In Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about sexual immorality when he says, For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Well, gay pride is nothing new. It's always been around. And the Bible has always been speaking against it. The Lord is clear that if we're going to follow him, that we must live sexual lives that are restrained and disciplined and according to his plan. You see, the problem with people's Christian religion is that they view Jesus as someone who wants to come alongside and hold their hand while they do whatever they want to do. Jesus didn't come to hold our hand. He came to take over. And so we surrender ourselves to the lordship of Christ. That's what it means to call him Lord. It means that he's over everything. He's over our sex life. He's over our finances. He's over our private conversations. He's over our public persona. It means that everything that we do, we submit to him. And when I, I read the Bible, there's a lot of stuff in it that I don't like. But there's not anything in it that I don't believe. And I understood a long time ago that if I was going to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I had to make a decision between doing whatever I wanted to do and doing what he called me to do. And so religion has no regard for people. Religion has no boundaries on sexual immorality. And religion has no use for the word of God. Notice what it says in verse 8. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Each of these things that Amos talks about is in direct contradiction to the commandment that God had given them for living in the promised land. In Exodus chapter 22, verses 26 through 27, this is what it says. It says, if ever you take your neighbor's cloak in pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. In what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. And so God had told them in a time where it's so hard for us to relate to, we have so many clothes that we, we take them to goodwill because we can't fit them all in the closet. And so we can't really relate to a time when people just had one set of clothes. And if a poor person lost that outward cloak, they just didn't have anything to sleep in in the cold night. It's hard for us to relate to and understand. But what G the Lord is saying here in this passage in Exodus is that you've got to have compassion for people. And, and if someone owes you something and, and you take their cloak for a pledge to make sure that they come back and pay you what they owe you, You've got to give the cloak back before the sun goes down because otherwise they're going to sleep out in the cold with nothing to keep them warm. And God, who is the, the lover of people, makes it clear that in this situation, he is on the side of the needy. And if you oppress the needy and take advantage of them, you're going to contend with him. You see, the Lord had given very specific instructions in his word, and they ignored them and lived 
against them. The Bible says here, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. This is a reference to wine that comes from fines of the poor collected in the honor of a heathen God. They were practicing idolatry. Everything that the Lord's word had taught them and commanded them, they were, they were living however they wanted to live, and they were living in rebellion against God's word. You see, religion, religion has no use for the word of God because whenever you accept the Bible as the word of God, you acknowledge its authority over you. And if you come to accept the Bible's authority over you, then you, then you realize that you must follow it. If I am committed to follow the word. I don't always understand it. There may be times that I don't interpret it correctly. There may be times when, when I've not yet figured out exactly what it means, how to live that, where I am, but I am committed to trying. I believe that when God spoke to us in his word, that it was him who was speaking. I believe that he has authority over me. And if I'm going to be a follower of him, that I have to listen to him. And yet I found over and over and over again when I engage in conflict with people inside the church, that people who have been members of churches for years and years and years, when I bring up the Bible, they don't want to talk about the Bible. They're not interested in what the Bible says, but instead they appeal to their logic and to what makes sense to them. Because even though they don't understand it or maybe not even express it this way, they have more faith in their own understanding than they do in the Word of God. And when you have real faith, you come to believe and trust in what God says. And if you read the Bible, you say there are many examples of people who never understood what God was doing, yet they were faithful anyway. And when God speaks to us in his word, we have real faith in him and believe and trust, then the Bible becomes an authority in our life. So that when we read God's commands, God's principle, God's direction, it changes who we are. The nation of Israel in the time of Amos they were a group of people that were self-indulgent. They were living in luxury at the expense of the poor. They were living in a time of sexual immorality. And they were living in a time where God's word had no authority in their life. And as they heard the message about their neighbors, because of their self-righteousness, they could revel in God's judgment. You see, this is the thing about self-righteousness. As we get a substitute religion, a substitute for real faith, it'll make us blind to who we really are. If you tell yourself that you're righteous long enough, you'll begin to believe it and, and embrace it. And I'm not talking about true righteousness, which comes from trusting in Christ and his righteousness being imparted to us. I'm talking about a self-righteousness, a phony righteousness, the person who has nothing to confess, the person who has nothing to repent of, the person who has nowhere to go because they've already arrived. David was in such a place in his life, and the prophet Nathan came into him, and Nathan began to tell David a story about a man who was wealthy and had all these things, and he had a visitor, and he took the one lamb from his neighbor and slaughtered it and fed it to his guest. And David rose up in self-righteous indignation and said, the man should die. And Nathan looked at David and he said, you are the man. Israel heard Amos denounce Syria and Gaza and even Judah 
And as they heard the revelation of God's wrath that was to be poured out upon these people, they celebrated without ever looking within. And what a surprise when Amos spoke to them and he said, and yet for three transgressions of Israel and for four, he spoke to them. You see, true faith will cause us to look inside and examine ourselves. And only when you've examined yourself and confessed your sin and changed the way that you live, that's called repentance, are you then able to notice sin in the life of other people and speak into their lives. Real faith changes who we are. So I want to ask you today, are you a different person than you used to be? Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you'd just be a completely different person. You see, religion will change what you do on Sunday morning, but real faith will change who you are. And you and I, we need to examine our hearts. And we need to ask ourselves, God, is there any part of me that is yet to be changed? And when we discover it, and if you're honest and sincere, you will discover it. Because none of us have yet attained it. When we discover it, may God give us the grace to confess it as sin and to repent so that we might live the joy of fellowship with him. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be honest about who we are before you. Lord, I pray that we would be sincere people living by a real faith and not a phony religion. Lord, help us to believe and to trust in you and your word. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, I hope that God has spoken to you today. And I want to encourage you to respond to him. I don't know what that response would need to be for you. Because I, I don't know where you are in your life and what God is doing. But if it's a sin that he has brought to your mind, would you take a moment and just confess that to the Lord. If it's an area of ministry that God has called you to but you've never embraced, would you, would you just speak to God and express your sincere desire to commit to that? Friend, just, just whatever you need to do, let's do it right now as we sing. Let's stand.